is happening. This is Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World in Sports for the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast going. Subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review the sports talk podcast that engages the brain and tantalizes your soul. The daily happenings of what's going on in the NFL, NBA, college football, and basketball. My Georgetown Hoyas with America's coach Patrick Ewing and giving you some side chatter about what's happening and how the world is turning in AEW and WWE. Wendell's World in Sports Download, subscribe, follow, rate, and review anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, rip, groin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I go ahead and start talking about the second season of the NBA, which is the playoffs, before I start getting into the Eastern Conference storylines, the Western Conference storylines, before I get into the news about Frank Vogel being fired and the friction that he had with Russell Westbrook, or should I say the other way around, and still in, before I start getting into the first, second, and third all-NBA teams, here's what I need for you to do. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this podcast on my YouTube episode, first of all, thank you very much. Second of all, if you could just do this, if you could just go ahead, do that like on this video, you could subscribe to my channel, I would appreciate that. And if you're listening to this on your favorite platform to listen to your podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, wherever, I need for you to do this. I need for you to go ahead, I need for you to type in W-E-N, D-E-L-L apostrophe S, Wendell's World in Sports, and then download, then subscribe, rate, review, follow, but most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, head by yours truly, Wendell Wallace. If you could do that for me, man, Lord have mercy, would I, would I, would I appreciate that. So there you go, Wendell's World in Sports podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Let's just get into it right now. Let's talk about what's happening in the NBA. The regular season is over starting on Tuesday. I'm going to be publishing this on a Monday night or a Tuesday morning before I take my five-day crew to Cabo. Hello. Before I go ahead and do that, I'm going to uh, put this down on a Tuesday morning. So right before the play-in game, if you take a look at the final standings in the Eastern Conference, you have the top six seeds being the Miami Heat, finishing the season with a 53-29 uh, and 29 record. The number two seed, Boston Celtics, beating up on the Memphis Grizzlies like they did capture the number two seed, most likely be facing the Brooklyn Nets with a 51-31 and 31 record. Third and fourth, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers, both with a 51-31 and 31 record. Number five seed is the Toronto Raptors. Excellent job by Nick Nurse, the choking job that he did, finishing the season with a 48-34 and 34 record. The number six seed, the failing, faltering Chicago Bulls, 46-36, still made it into the playoffs, but we'll see 
how far they go if they're going in on a negative note. The play-in tournament, mentioned before, the number seven seed, the Brooklyn Nets, 44 and 38. The number eight seed, the Cleveland Cavaliers, 44 and 38. The number nine seed, the Atlanta Hawks, 43 and 39. And the number 10 seed, the Charlotte Hornets, 43 and 39. Brooklyn, Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, all playing in the play-in tournament, shall we say. And then the rest of the conference, you have the New York Thibodeaux at 37 and 45, my Washington Wizards at 40, uh, uh, 35 and 47, the number 13 seed, Indiana Pacers, 25 and 57, the Detroit Pistons, Detroit losing a lot, coming in at 24 and 58, and f- finishing in the cellar is the Miami, or excuse me, is the Orlando Magic. They couldn't make a trick for them to get out of the last spot in the Eastern Conference. They finished the season with a 22-60 and 60 record. So if you take a look at the play-in tournament for the Eastern Conference, if you take a look at the schedule, game one is going to be the number eight-seeded Cleveland Cavaliers. They'll be playing at Brooklyn, the boogie down. Brooklyn Nets, that'll be, as I mentioned before, later on this afternoon, 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 4 o'clock, moving down to Cabo time for me. That'll, that game will be on TNT. Game number two, which will be on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. That game will feature the number 10-seeded Charlotte Hornets. They will be at the number 9 Atlanta Hawks. The number 3 game is going to be the winner of Game 2 versus the loser of Game 1. That will be on Friday on ESPN. So how it works, just to break it down for you just a little bit more, the winner of Game 1, which is going to be Cleveland and Brooklyn, which you can see later on this afternoon or this evening or in the morning, depending upon when you're listening to this podcast, they will be the the seven-seeded team, which is Brooklyn, will be playing the eight-seeded Cleveland Cavaliers. The winner of that game, which will be Brooklyn, if Brooklyn State wins, they will play the number two seed, Boston Celtics, in the first round. The winner of Game 2, which is Charlotte and Atlanta, they'll advance. The winner will advance to play the loser of the Brooklyn-Cleveland game, while the loser of Game 2 between Charlotte and Atlanta, their season will be over. So the loser of Charlotte and Atlanta will see their season end on Wednesday. The winner of the game between the (laughs) loser, hold on, the winner of Game 3, which will be the loser of the first game playing the winner of the second game, then will be the number eight seed, and they'll face the Miami Heat in the first round. Kind of explaining this like a who's on first type of a situation with Bud Abbott and uh, Costello. So if you take a look at last season's play-in game in the Eastern Conference, you have the final four teams being the number seven-seeded uh, Boston Celtics, who were then coached by um, Brad Stevens. They played the Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal-led uh, Washington Wizards, who were number eight. The number nine seed were the Indiana Pacers playing the number 10 seeded Charlotte Hornets. The results, Indiana beat Charlotte, Boston beat Washington, and then Boston beat Indiana for the number eight seed in the playoffs, where my Wizards got spanked in the first round by the Philadelphia 76ers. Yes, that was not a rumor. Ben Simmons actually, in that series against the Wizards, actually shot the ball in the fourth quarter, even if he had a wide open layup. It wasn't until the Eastern Conference Finals that he decided to uh, (coughs) choke. So, if you take a look at the Western Conference Final standings for the season, the top six teams, the Phoenix Suns, 64 and 18, the Memphis Grizzlies coming in second, the 56 and 26, John Morant, Memphis Grizzlies, number three seed, 
The Golden State Warriors, 53 and 29, their record, the number four seed, the Dallas Mavericks, 52 and 30, the number five seed, the Utah Jazz, 49 and 33. The number six seeds are the Denver Nuggets. They are 48 and 34. So if you take a look at those six teams, they will not have to worry about any play-in games or anything like that. The play-in teams for the play-in tournament in the Western Conference, number seven seeded Minneapolis, Minnesota Timberwolves, finishing the season with a 46 and 36 record. The LA Clippers, 42 and 40. They're the number eight seed, number nine, New Orleans Pelicans. 36-46, the San Antonio Spurs with Greg Popovich. They are the number 10 seed with a 34-48 and 48 record. And then the rest of the conference, we have the Los Angeles Frank Vogels finishing with the number 11 seed. They are 33-49. and 49. That's how they ended the season. Number 12 seed, Sacramento Kings, 29-53. and 53. Portland Trailblazers, 27-55, and 55, finished 13th in the conference. The 14th-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder, 24-58, and 58, and finishing in the cellar, those young Houston Rockets at 20-62. and 62. So here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, if you take a look at the Western Conference play-in games, Game 1, which will be on Tuesday at 9.30 on TNT, you'll have the number eight seed Los Angeles Clippers going down to play the number never the number seven seed Minnesota Timberwolves. Game two, which will be Wednesday, nine thirty Eastern Standard Time, or shall I say six thirty Pacific Standard Time as I'm cruising down to Cabo. The number ten seeded San Antonio Spurs will be at the number nine seeded New Orleans Pelicans. And then as I mentioned just like in the Eastern Conference, the winner of game two who play the loser of game one of that game will also be Friday on TNT. So again, here's how it works. The winner of game one between the Clippers and the Timberwolves will be the number seven seed and they'll play Memphis in the first round. And then the loser of the number seven seed will play the winner of the number eight seed or the, the loser of the seven, eight game will play the winner of the nine, 10 game, which is the game between the San Antonio Spurs and the New Orleans Pelicans. And the winner of that game will then be the eighth seed, and they will be facing the Phoenix Suns. Now, I need for you to write this down because there may be a quiz on this when I return from vacation. Even though by that time the playoffs in terms of the top eight seeds will be set, you never know when I might want to just go back and just surprise your asses. So go ahead and write this stuff down. Learn this inside and out because you never know. So so far in the playing game, but you think about it, for the uh, second year or second season in a row, this should be a pretty good uh, game for them. Not because of Charlotte, not really because of Atlanta. Just like uh, last season, the play-in game was success. success. Why? Because you had the Los Angeles Lakers playing the Golden State Warriors. You had LeBron going up against Steph Curry in the last season's tournament. In this season's tournament, you have Kyrie and you have KD and you have the intrigue if you're a NBA fan or a sports fan to see if the Brooklyn Nets can get into the tournament because I guess you could say while there's no Cinderella's, while there's no surprises when it comes to the playoffs in the NBA when you're playing the best four out of the seven, I guess maybe one of the teams that is the longest of shots, but yet when you go to Vegas, Vegas and bet are one of the favorites, the Brooklyn Nets were, were kind of intrigued or I'm kind of intrigued to see exactly what the Brooklyn Nets are going to do with the playoff starts now that they have Kyrie Irving back full-time, except if you have to go to Canada. And, of course, KD and 
Steph Curry is battling, or Steph Curry is battling an ankle, but he should be ready to play. And there's some news coming out about Ben Simmons. I'll get to him a little bit later in terms of his availability to play in the second round or the first round of the playoffs if the Brooklyn Nets get that far. So, again, speaking about the history of the play-in tournament because of the star power, because of the markets, because of the uh, team, the historical teams in big markets, the Lakers, Golden State, Steph Curry, LeBron last season, this season, KD, Brooklyn, New York area, that type of thing. Even if you want to go a little bit deeper, the uh, antics and the showmanship of a Trey Young, which is starting to blossom even more, put his shine on a little bit last season in the First round when the Atlanta Hawks eliminated the New York Knicks. So this is a guy who had a tremendous series against the New York Knicks last season and the Philadelphia 76ers that the Hawks pulled off that upset before losing to the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's see in terms of when the lights are even brighter on Trey Young that he can elevate his game even more in the playoffs. So last season's tournament was also the starting point for Memphis's John Morant to let people know that he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the NBA. Maybe start the discussion of, yeah, you know what? Zion had a pretty good stretch last uh, season, but now we might be getting into a category where we might be saying that the drafting of Zion Williamson by the New Orleans Pelicans over John Morant might equate the Portland Trailblazers drafting Greg Oden over, then Seattle drafting Kevin Durant. It might be one of those situations if, if, if Morant continues to elevate his game and elevate his stature. And there's still question marks regarding what Zion is going to do, not just from an injury standpoint, but as far as what he's going to do in staying with the New Orleans Pelicans. This is a situation where we first, if you weren't a true NBA fan, or if you're just a guy who's just kind of casually watching and you watch the playing game, this is where John Morant, as I mentioned before, started to uh, make that name, make that shine, build his brand. When you speak about last uh, season, Memphis beating Golden State 117-112 to get the number eight spot in the playoffs when everybody expected that the Golden State Warriors would go ahead and get into the playoffs after they lost to LeBron because of the 34-footer that he made at the shot clock was winding down to get the Lakers that 103-100 win uh, at Staples Center or at the Crickcom Center, whatever the flip they call it now. So everybody was just on the assumption that Golden State would go ahead and beat Memphis, who had a tough game in their playing game the day before against the San Antonio Spurs. No, no. John Morant had big buckets down the stretch, had 35 points showed that he was the best player on the court, despite the fact that Steph Curry and Draymond Green were playing. So the momentum that Morant and the Grizzlies had by winning that play-in tournament and playing the Utah Jazz in the number one seed so tough in the first round of that Western Conference Finals gave them that, gave them that momentum to continue to have the success individually in terms of Morant and as team-wise in terms of what they did with Memphis now holding the number two seed, also following up on the success that the Phoenix Suns had when they went 8-0 and in the bubble after the COVID uh, restrictions were lifted and the NBA came back to play with the way that the Phoenix Suns uh, performed in the bubble. It was that momentum. It was that catapult for them to have the, su- the success that they had this past season or that past season making it to the NBA Finals before losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. You see Memphis in terms of what they did, their experience their 
uh, success that they had in the play-in tournament and what they showed in the first round, being the momentum, being the fuel to catapult them, to rocket them to where they are this season, finishing number two, as I mentioned before, in the Western Conference. It'll be interesting to see if you take a look at a team like Memphis, or excuse me, if you take a look, take a look at a team like New Orleans, if you take a look at a team like San Antonio, who's one of the youngest teams in the NBA, if you take a look in the Eastern Conference at a team like, say, the Atlanta Hawks or a team like the Charlotte uh, 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 Bobcats, if you take a look, what are they, Hornets, Bobcats, what are they, the Bobcats, or whatever, whatever, they, whatever their moniker is, it'll be interesting to see which team is going to use this playing tournament to get them started. Now, I think that for the Brooklyn Nets, with the expectations that they have, with the team that they have, with the um, play on, players that they had, like KD and Kyrie, who have already won championships, the playing game is just a situation as a pathway to get into the tournament so they can go ahead and do what they, what many people expect them to do, which is to make a deep run in the NBA uh, playoffs. Quite different than the other teams that are vying for that number eight seed and that number seven seed in the playoffs for the Nets, as I mentioned before, because of their experience, their expectations of what they can gain from the playing game to going to the playoffs is a lot different than, say, if some team like Charlotte made it or some team like the San Antonio Spurs made it or even some team like the Atlanta Hawks, who are not quite as young as the uh, Charlotte, excuse me, the Charlotte team or the San Antonio Spurs team is, but yet still the rebuilding process continues, it'll be interesting. And even the Cleveland Cavaliers, they keep missing them. The Cavaliers, could you imagine the fuel? Could you imagine the confidence? Could you imagine the momentum that the Cleveland Cavaliers would have if they went ahead and beat the Brooklyn Nets on the road, KD, Kyrie playing in that game, and then moving on to the first round of the playoffs, where I think if they do that, they could give Miami a little bit of trouble, at least make it a series enough to where Cleveland could walk away from that series, be it losing, but also gaining that confidence, gaining that experience to catapult them to even greater heights and expectations for next season. We keep, again, and I keep, again, speaking about the Brooklyn Nets situation like it's a fait accompli, like it's a foregone conclusion that the Nets are going to be making it into the playoffs. Well, we, we don't know just yet if that's going to be happening. Darius Garland and... Evan Mobley might have some things to say about that, even though if you take a look at the season series between the Cavaliers and the Brooklyn Nets, the Nets have won three out of their four games. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see two teams that are going up against each other with a whole different type of expectations and a whole different type of feelings and thoughts and that type of thing going into the playoffs. It'll be much more advantageous in the long term that have the Cleveland Cavaliers make it into the playoffs and start that grind down the road a few years of being that team that can then compete for an NBA championship with a then even more improved, stronger, versatile, experienced team that would feature a Darius Garland who could continue to uh, move toward all-NBA status. A guy like Evan Bowley who would be continuing to move toward all-NBA franchise status. A defensive player like uh, a Jared Allen who could anchor uh, those offensive skill players, even though he won't be playing in the play-in game or playing for the rest of the season because of injury for the Cavaliers. If you're taking a look at a time three years down the road, two years down the road, if the Cleveland Cavaliers could upset the Brooklyn Nets, then make it into the playoffs and play 
the Miami Heat tough in a couple of years when LeBron is looking for another team to leap on to try to win a championship. How is the narrative not any better? How can you find a narrative even more juicier or delicious than seeing LeBron James and the crater off the cliff, which is the Los Angeles Lakers' future, and he sees what the Cavaliers are doing in a couple of seasons. He says, hey, you know what, for my uh, last go-around to try to get that fifth championship so I can match Kobe and get closer to MJ, let me go back home, let me just go ahead and do the 360 and end my career with the team that I started in my hometown team, even though I'm from Akron, being at the Cleveland Cavaliers. All of those scenarios, all of those situations, all of those possibilities could start on Tuesday if the Cavaliers beat the Brooklyn Nets, even though I think that the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie and KD will get it done. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, speaking about the Eastern Conference playing game for Charlotte. Bobcats, Hornets, I don't know what the flip they're called, but they're going to be playing Atlanta. Can Atlanta make it back to the playoffs after a disappointing season? Remember when the Hawks were flailing and underachieving and <laughs> Trey Young came out with that uh, comment about, ah, yeah, you know, the uh, where the, the, this regular season is kind of boring. So that's one of the reasons why we're not doing anything. That's one of the reasons why we're not playing any defense. Oh, I'm sorry. When did the, you guys all of a sudden become the uh, San Antonio Spurs of the uh, Tim Duncan, Ray Popovich, Manu Ginobili, David Robinson, Tony Parker, Avery Johnson type era? Oh, I, I'm sorry, Atlanta. When was the last time that you guys won a championship in the recent, I don't know, franchise, uh, the, the recent uh, – since you moved from St. Louis, I'm sorry, I didn't know that 1957 St. Louis Hawks would carry over all the way to 2021-22 to have you guys be so laissez-faire and so arrogant and so hubris about the regular season to where, you know what, we can turn it on and turn it off because you got to remember, this franchise won a championship when they were in St. Louis about, oh, I don't know, 70 years ago, so uh, we're good. We're real good. And, you know, geez, come on, man. When did, them, when did, when did Trey Young become MJ? When did Trey Young become Kobe? When did Trey Young become LeBron? When did Trey Young become Steph? You're making that type of uh, comment about, yeah, we'll turn it on when we need to. But the Hawks rebounded. Rebounded. You like how I said that? The Hawks got themselves together enough for them to get into the playing games. Now we're going to see exactly what's up with uh, Trey Young. His last 24 games, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's averaged almost 30 points a game, 10 assists. Has made about three three pointers per game, so he has he has um, he has moved up his level of play. And if you're speaking about the most valuable player, and if your definition, true definition of the most valuable player is a guy to where um, when he's on the court, they are a much 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 better team all around than when he is off the court. Trey Young could probably be in the top four or five in that category, right up there with Luka, right up there with Nikola Jokic. So it'll be interesting. A guy who loves the spotlight, as I said before, Trey Young. It'll be interested to see what he's going to be doing against Charlotte. And, hey, man, you know, my question for you is this. Can LaMelo Ball and, the, and that Charlotte team, can they have the same impact that John Morant had last season in the tournament and the um, Memphis Grizzlies. I'm, I'm, LaMelo's second year in the NBA. This could be a coming out party for him. I, I want to see what he did. Now, we stunk out loud last season in the play-in tournament where they got blown out by the 
Indiana Pacers. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm very, very curious to see if LaMelo Ball, what type of a show he puts on, what type of impact he has, what type of game that he has in this pressure situation, win or go home, and see if he can use that if he does become successful to elevate his game even more. One of the guys who, you know what, a playoff run to get or a tournament, play-in tournament style run to get himself into the tournament and then play well in the uh, first round, even though they might lose to the Miami Heat. I think it would do wonders, wonders, wonders for LaMelo Ball, a, a very talented, extremely talented and gifted basketball player, at least on the offensive end. Once he starts trying on the defensive end, then we'll be a-okay with that. But um, at least from the offensive end, his gifts, not only to put the ball in the basket, to set things up for others, his sixth sense in terms of he's, he's got that Larry Bird, he's got that uh, Magic Johnson, he's got that uh, LeBron James type of, he's got that Luka type of, you know, I'm thinking two steps ahead of what you're speaking or what you're thinking right now. So I'm already ahead of what you're going to be trying to do, which makes the plays that I'm going to be making to give guys like Miles Bridges and Gordon Hayward when he plays and Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre better opportunities to be successful because I'm one step ahead of the defense in terms of what they're trying to do, not just to stop me, but also to try to stop the other guys on my team. LaMelo has that, has that, uh, has that gift to go ahead and do that. And he's also a guy, even though not on a consistent basis, he's also a guy that if he needs to go ahead and score 30, he can go and do that and put up a very impressive number of double-doubles, such as, you know, 32 points and 14 assists and seven rebounds or something like that. That's the type of talent that LaMelo Ball has. It's that going to be unleashed? Are we going to be able to see that in the play-in game? And if we are going to be able to see that in the playoff play-in game of this tournament, then I think, the Hornets or the Bobcats or Charlotte or whatever are going to be having a great chance of really making some noise similar to what John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies had last season. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So as we check some of the storylines in the Eastern Conference, I think the main thing, if you think about the NBA and you think about the Eastern Conference and you think about the favorites and you think about who's going to be doing what and you think about what you're going to be speaking about and you speak about what's going to be talking about and what's going to be heard and what's going to be discussed and what's going to be opinionated at the barbershop, at the water cooler and such, concerning the Eastern Conference is this. You've got six teams, really, that you can make a strong argument for to be not just conference contenders, but also title contenders. When you take a look at Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Toronto, and hey man, anytime you have two guys on there that have won championships like Kyrie and KD, you have to put them in there also. So my question is this, man. Who who you think, barring some type of catastrophic injury, who do you think is going to get out of this? in terms of the Eastern Conference. Who who should be the favorite? Who are you looking at? Who are you who are you looking for? If you were a betting man and you had to uh, bet your wife and your and your kids and your husbands and your, your girlfriends and your boyfriends and your Morgans and such and you had to be serious about it, who who's gonna be coming out of this conference, man? Because I gotta tell you right now, I don't know. I mean Miami's had rebounded nicely before that throwaway game against Orlando. They had won six in a row after losing four straight. They beat the Boston Celtics on the road. They beat the Chicago Bulls on the road. They beat the Toronto Raptors on the road. 
during that winning streak. You take a look at the success for Miami. As I mentioned before, I'll always say it. Miami is the one team, when you speak about discipline, Miami is the one team in the NBA, probably the best team in the NBA to know what their strengths are and to know exactly who they are and what they need to do to win basketball games. The Miami Heat ain't going to try to outscore the Brooklyn Nets. The Miami Heat ain't going to try to have one player just do it all. The Miami Heat are not that kind of squad. Everybody on that team is going to play their asses off, and everybody on that team is going to have a clear understanding of what their role is, and they're not going to deviate from that one iota. They are the most consistently disciplined team in the NBA. When you speak about their players and what they need to do on a night-in and night-out basis to win basketball games. Number one is to play hard all of the time. You will see no letdown. You will see no flipping of the switch. You will see no greater intensity now that the Miami Heat are in the playoffs. They're going to give you the same maximum amount of effort on a consistent basis through Game 7, through these playoff series, like the same type of effort that they gave during the dog days of the NBA season. The best part about it is they're going to have their full complement of star players together or the players that they're going to need to win basketball games in the playoffs. But my question for Miami is this. In terms of them being a really good regular season basketball team because they play hard all the time, can a team full of good players, good players, not superstars, not franchise players, but all-stars and good players, is that good enough to beat a team with other good players and a superstar? The Heat have very good players. Good players. Jimmy Butler, all-star, good player. Cal Lowry, NBA champion, good player. Bam Bayou, rising superstar, but right now still a good uh, player. Tyler Hero, the best at what he's asked to do, being a six-man, providing offensive punch off the bench. Very good at what they do. And on top of that, they might have the best coach in the Eastern Conference, or at least, at the very least, the coach with the most jewels, and the coach with the most playoff experience. But, as a team like Miami, depending upon their style, depending upon their philosophy, depending upon all of those things, is that good enough? Is the Miami Heat culture good enough to be that team with good players, and I mentioned before, and a superstar? Are they good enough to beat Milwaukee, that features uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and the superstar known as Giannis Adenokupo. Are they good enough to beat a Boston Celtics team with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, good players, and the superstar being Jason Tatum? Are they good enough to beat the Philadelphia 76ers with Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, and then you would think that you would hope that you would pray that you're hoping would be two superstars in Joel Embiid, check, and James Harden, Are you thinking that the Miami Heat can overcome the, the the duo of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in a seven-game series. The Boston, excuse me, before, uh, the, the Chicago Bulls with uh, Vucevic and Zach Levine and DeVar, DeMar Rosen. Uh, Toronto with Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. Are the Heat as a squad good enough? Now, in the past playoffs, they've beaten that Milwaukee squad with Giannis. They've beaten that Boston Celtics squad with Jason Tatum. So there's evidence that, yes, recent evidence that, yes, it can be done. But now we're looking at Jason Tatum becoming into a top eight, top seven, top five player in the NBA. We're taking a look now at the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis being an MVP and NBA champion 
We're taking a look now at the Philadelphia 76 team that should be, that hopefully if you're a 76ers fan, is in desperation mode. We're taking a look at the Brooklyn Nets with a now rip-roaring and ready-to-go Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Is the Heat culture going to be enough? And how much of a coaching advantage does Miami have with their expulsion? Because he's going to be going up. If he's going to win that championship, he's going to be going up against a Nick Nurse or a Doc Rivers or a Steve Nash, Inmate Udoka, Mike Bootenholzer. How much of an advantage does Miami have with Eric Spolster? Can it overcome the fact that, as I mentioned before, Miami does not have that true superstar player? Again, very good, very good player. But this is a situation where, man, this has never been done before. Where you take a bunch of really good players and good players without a superstar and lead them to a championship. That's never been done before. The closest that's been accomplished under those circumstances were the Detroit Pistons where they beat the Los Angeles Lakers. A team with Kobe and Shaq and Carl Malone and Gary Payton and a team that was in disarray. Great disarray. So moving forward, we'll see. But that's the one thing that kind of concerns me if you're a Miami Heat fan in their quest to win a championship. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. The Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics, along with the Dallas Mavericks for the second half of the season, were probably the best team in the NBA. Are they going to be able to carry that momentum over to the playoffs without Robert Williams? We don't know when he's going to be coming back. The rim protector, the uh, alley finisher, the rebounder that was so integral for the turnaround in Boston. He's going to be missed. But really, the question is going to be, is Jason Tatum ready? Is he ready to be that guy that can be the superstar, that can lift the Boston Celtics to the conference championship and be real players in the NBA championship? Can he be the best player on the same court with an NBA champion like Kevin Durant, a killer, an assassin, a top three, top four player? And KD, the one player who I would say I would probably be picked first if I needed to win one game. Kevin Durant is still that damn good. Can Jason Tatum be better than him on a consistent basis in the first round if the Boston Celtics play the Brooklyn Nets? He's going to have to be. Going to have to be. He can't rely on Jalen Brown. This can't be a quote-unquote team effort. He's going to have to match and he's going to have to supersede Kevin Durant if the Boston Celtics are going to be moving forward. Is Jason Tatum ready for that? Is he ready to go up against an NBA finalist like Jimmy Butler? Is he able, is he ready to go up against a champion like Kyrie, a champion like Kyle Lowry, an MVP candidate like Joel Embiid? Is Jason Tatum that guy? Because that's that's been the question. That has been the question when Brad Stevens was the coach, when they lost in the bubble, this first year where he almost and the uh, Boston Celtics almost made it to the NBA Finals before losing Game 7 at home to the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James, and people started calling Jason Tatum 12-time Tatum. After that, there were some missteps to where people started thinking, man, is Jason Tatum good enough? I mean, is he just going to be very good? I mean, we, we, we know already that he's hit very good status. We, we know now that he's at all-star game status. We know now that he's top... 20 status. He's somewhere between 13 and 20, 21. We're speaking about the best players in the NBA. The leap, the improvement that Jason Tatum made this year 
in the regular season, probably going to be ending up on the first team All-NBA. Is he ready for those battles? Is he ready to do battle against those guys? We're going to see. Is Jason Tatum ready to be Robin to Jason Tatum's Batman? And, and, And really, can Jason Tatum be Batman? That's a lot to be asking. That's a lot to be asking. We're going to find out Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What are we to believe of the Philadelphia 76ers? And what can they do in this postseason? This is a team that I think could lose in the first round of the playoffs to the Raptors or make it to the finals of the NBA. That's their pendulum right there. That's their high point. That's their ceiling. That's their floor and all that other kind of stuff. Best explanation for Philadelphia after they acquired James Harden, the thought process was, well, hey, man, we're going to have the best one-two punch in the game with two top ten players. I mean, this is a situation where James Harden could be a top seven player, so we've got the most dominant player in the NBA in Joel Embiid. We have a top seven player in James Harden, and because of that, this is going to be elevating Embiid's greatness even more and his dominance even more. This is going to be a situation with that one-two of Joel Embiid and James Harden is going to elevate the games of Tyrese Maxey. It's going to elevate the games of Tobias Harris. This is going to be something that, uh, you know, is going to trickle down in terms of the improvement of the team in general with the acquisition of James Harden. And that's what Daryl Morey was banking on. That's what the Philadelphia fans were banking on. That's what the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers were banking on when they went ahead and made this move to go ahead and acquire James Harden. So far, heading into the playoffs, the results of the trade have been mixed. Since acquiring Harden, Philadelphia has been 16-8 and overall, but 9-7 and against NBA playoff teams. James Harden does not look like the player Philadelphia thought they were getting when they made this trade for him, especially after the first three games where they played the Knicks twice in Minnesota. Harden this season, he's averaging 22 points per game, which is the fewest since he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder, his his rookie year. He's also shooting a career-worst 41% from the field, making a career-low 33% of his three-point shots. Last 10 games, he's only averaged 19 points, shooting 36%. He's also only making 30% of the three-pointers. That's not going to get it done, man. That is not going to get it done. Philly is not going to beat Toronto. Forget trying to beat forget trying to beat Milwaukee or, or uh, Boston or Miami or any of those teams, or even Brooklyn, if Harden is going to play that way. Can't get it done. No matter how much of a monster Joel Embiid is going to uh, have to be. It's not going to be any good. They need they need James Harden. And so far, James Harden, especially as I mentioned before down the stretch, as I told you with numbers, does not look like that guy that can get it done where they need to get it done or be the player that they thought they were getting a top five, six, seven type player in James Harden. The scrutiny's on. I mean, when you're speaking about from a player-coach perspective, James Harden and Doc Rivers, I think as a tandem player-coach, have the most pressure on them in this NBA playoff season. Because the last remnants of Doc being the lead coach and what he did with the Boston Celtics, taking them to the championship and then taking them back to the finals, I think if he loses in the first round to the Toronto Raptors, A lot of that luster is going to go bye-bye because he underachieved not just once but twice when he was with the Los Angeles Clippers. The uh, Lop City with three CP3 and 
Blake, uh, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan such, that team underachieved. Then they got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for a year, and that team underachieved. Now we go to Philadelphia, and they lose to Atlanta in the Eastern Conference semifinals after having the best record in the NBA, or excuse me, in the Eastern Conference. So going into this playoff now with James Harden, now with um, Joel Embiid, the pressure's on. Now I'm not saying that Doc Rivers is a bum or something like that, but, you know, I mean, we're talking about two guys who, let's, let, let's face it, because of their reputations, I think it's fair to say that they have underachieved as coach and player, as a coach and a player in these playoffs. James Harden's history of coming up small in the playoffs is well documented. But again, I mean, for for a long time, for a long time, we thought, or many people thought Rivers was a, an elite coach. This is a situation where if he doesn't get it done and they lose, having home court advantage, and they lose to the Toronto Raptors, I don't care if Matisse Thibault can't play in Toronto because he's not fully vaccinated. No, 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 no. This will be a humongous, humongous disappointment for the Philadelphia 76ers. And then where, where, where do you go after that? What do you do after that? Because you know you're going to have to give Harden his uh, max contract. So you're going to be giving max money to a guy who's faltering and faltering fast after the disappointing season that he had. When is it going to be the time in a couple of years down the line where Harden is going to uh, passive-aggressive you know, play his way out of Philadelphia? and have the worst contract in the NBA, replacing Russell Westbrook for that moniker. A lot of things running on with this Philadelphia 76ers, and even if they get past the um, Toronto Raptors, it looks dicey. It looks dicey that Philadelphia, and especially James Harden, is going to play the way that they've been playing moving into the playoffs. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just a few more things when you're speaking about the Eastern Conference, when you're speaking about some teams that I'm uh, taking a look at, some of the some of the storylines, some of the teams that are favorites, some of the teams that are true contenders to win the championship. The uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, man. I mean, we're we're not sleeping on them, but I, I, they're they're not that sexy. Yeah, let's talk about them. Yeah, they're kind of uh, you know taking up the space in my brain type of team right now. Everybody wants to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. Everybody wants to talk about, of course, the Brooklyn Nets. Everybody wants to talk about the uh, Boston Celtics. Very few people who are not, like, doing this NBA stuff for a living, they're not saying too much about the Milwaukee Bucks, are they? They're only the defending champions, or should I say champions. Giannis has been better than he's ever been. Um, They've had Drew Holiday now to really inundate himself. Brooke Lopez is coming back. Pat Connington is, is, is back with some three-point shooting. The, the only thing that might scare me a little bit if I'm the Milwaukee Bucks is what you're going to do from the small or the um, what are you going to do from the uh, shooting guard position? Because if you're going to have to go down the stretch with Wes Matthews being that guy that's going to be playing crunch time, could be dicey. But then again, what's your other alternative? Grayson Allen? It's going to be dicey. It's going to be dicey for those guys. But, man, they've got, as I mentioned before, one of the two or three best players in the NBA right now in Giannis and Dinekupo. They've got Middleton. They've got Drew Holiday, who not, not only have NBA championship experience, but also let's not mitigate the effect and the impact that playing for Team USA and being under the tutelage and coaching of a champion like Greg Popovich, under a, a, a historically great player like uh, Kevin Durant and such. Uh, that 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 experience 
had to have a momentous effect on Middleton and Drew Holiday. So let's see. They've already you know shown that during the regular season. We've seen Devin Booker really take that experience of not just making it to the NBA Finals, but also then playing for the U.S. Olympic team. We see how much his game has been elevated by those two experiences. And I'm interested to see what he can do when the Western Conference playoffs start. Let's see what the Milwaukee Bucks with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton can do once they get back and start defending their championship crown. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And we come to the Brooklyn Nets making a serious run at the title. Are they going to make a serious run for the title? Are they? Hmm? Huh? What? Huh? Woo! I have to tell you one thing. I don't know how far, they, I don't know how much gas they got left in the tank. I don't know how far Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving can take these guys if Steve Nash is going to be con- continuing to play them the major minutes, the playoff-style minutes that he's been playing them. If you take a look at Durant this season, since March, he's been averaging 38 minutes per game. He's been averaging 40 minutes in April. Seven of the last 10 games that Brooklyn has played, Durant has played over 40 minutes per game. Man, you cannot keep that up if you're Brooklyn and heading into the playoffs. You need to find this man some time to rest somehow, some way. Last three games against New York, Cleveland, and Indiana. That's right, Indiana. The last game of the season, 42 minutes, 41 minutes, 41 minutes. Better slow him down a little bit. Better slow him down. And you're asking KD to be your best defensive player outside of uh, Bruce Brown on that team also? Kyrie's averaging 41 minutes in April, and his number has been shaky in terms of his field goal percentage and such. I mean, he's had some pretty big games in the month of April, but he's also had some games that's been a little bit shaky. He hadn't shot well. So moving on, if you're going to be playing those guys that many minutes, man, I, I, I don't know. Steph Curry, as I mentioned before, is day-to-day with an ankle injury. He'll play, I'm going to assume on that, but uh, he's not going to be 100%. No one really is during this time. But, um, you know, wh- where, A, are the Brooklyn Nets going to get defensive stops, and, B, who's going to help carry the load a little bit for Kyrie and KD before they, before they um, wear down? Because I'm quite sure the process is starting right now in terms of, hey, man, if you're going to be playing these guys 42, 41 minutes a game, and you're going to keep that up for another, hopefully, two months, do you think that Kyrie and KD can handle that type of load, uh, going along with the responsibility that comes with being the leaders of that team and having to do so much for the success of the Brooklyn Nets? That's going to be tough, man. That's going to be tough. Now, there's a report from the Athletics' uh, Sean Sherinia that uh, Ben Simmons could be returning to play for the Nets in the playoffs. He's been ramping up, speaking of Simmons, he's been ramping up his workload and strengthening his legs and back. And should he continue to clear the ramp-up hurdles in front of him, he will be able to take the floor soon. As I mentioned before in my other podcast, that for the Brooklyn Nets, a player, before he gets himself back on the court, whether it's Ben Simmons or not, he's going to have to go through a series of five-on-five scrimmages full court before he's able to uh, get back on the floor. So we'll see uh, when that step is going to be taken or if that step is going to be taken. But they need, the Brooklyn Nets, need, uh, Nets definitely need definitely need Ben Simmons. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Western Conference. Let me see. When I talk about the Western Conference, when I speak about the storylines, I think for me there's really the, the the main one is going to be, look, in the Eastern Conference we have the 
Miami Heat. We have the Boston Celtics. We have the Milwaukee Bucks. We have the Philadelphia 76ers. We have the Toronto Raptors. We have the Brooklyn Nets in terms of glamorous possibilities of those teams in the Eastern Conference making a run toward that conference championship. In the Western Conference, there is no such scenario. So what? So what? So what? The scenario. The scenario is that the best team, probably in the NBA and in the Western Conference, is the Phoenix Suns, as I mentioned before, finishing their season with a 64 and 18 record. Monty Williams doing a fabulous job. Chris Paul being Chris Paul. Devin Booker elevating his game. Um, DeAndre Ayton providing the inside presence. Um, the, the 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 bench. The outside shooting. The the metrics in terms of how good they've been both on offense and defense. Mikel Bridges being that three-way, three-and-D guy that uh, he was drafted for and doing it with such a plume and doing it with such grace and doing it with such um, ferocity in his couple of seasons has elevated his stature amongst three-and-D guys to being in the elite class. So uh, the Phoenix Suns right now clearly are the best team in the Western Conference. The question is, what team can really give them a shot. And if you take a look, Memphis has the athleticism, Memphis has the swag, Memphis has the confidence, Memphis has the skill, Memphis has the team that could do it. But my question is the playoff experience when you're speaking about a Phoenix Suns team that went six games in the NBA Finals going up a team in Memphis who was getting kudos and high fives and hand slaps and boogaloos and that type of stuff for playing a competitive series against the Utah Jazz. How much is Desmond Bain? How much is uh, are those guys, along with John Morant, going to pose as a threat, them being the number two seed if Memphis really does meet Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals? And also you're speaking about Phoenix having the home court advantage, those guys being so excellent, so disciplined, so, uh, you know, so great in the last minutes of the game, crunch time minutes, when you have the point God, Chris Paul, that's going to happen. The Golden State Warriors. Steph is, I'm going to go on the assumption, is going to be back for the playoffs, but you have a hobble Steph. You have a, now he's hot, but uh, he's been inconsistent. Trey, uh, Clay Thompson, um, Draymond Green coming back from back injury, a healthy Golden State Warrior team would definitely give the Phoenix Suns a battle for that championship in the Western Conference. If you remember before everything went to kaput in terms of Draymond's back giving out and having him miss a multitude of games and weeks for the Golden State Warriors, they were the team that were considered the better basketball team and had beaten Phoenix two other three times uh, during that period of time before Draymond's back went down. So how much does the return of Draymond and what type of shape that he's going to be in game-wise, healthy-wise for the Warriors to make a run at the Phoenix Suns, what about against Steph Curry? Now, the type of game that Steph Curry has where he's not relying on physicality so much to be dominant, his skill level is off the charts, especially when it comes to playmaking. Of course, when you're speaking about the greatest shooter of all time, but still, moving into a series like that, how much is Steph going to be in condition and how much is Steph going to be able to uh, give to his team if they're going to upset or get past the Phoenix Suns. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The man, the Dallas Mavericks, man. Now, Lucas sprained his calf, so I don't know how much that's going to hamper him in their first-round series against uh, Utah, but I think Dallas is dangerous. I think Dallas, and 
the one reason why I'll say more than any other team, including the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors and every, anybody else who's participating in the playoffs in the Western Conference, the one reason why I will say that the Dallas Mavericks have the best chance of beating the Phoenix Suns is because of Luka Doncic and the way that he's playing. There is nobody in the Western Conference, nobody, there might not be anybody in the NBA that has the weapon that the gold, that the um, Dallas Mavericks have when you're speaking about Luka Doncic, man. A guy that can give you 30, a guy that can give you 15 assists, a guy that can give you 12 rebounds, and he can do it all in one game while playing 45 minutes. And as we've seen in his playoff series, his first two seasons in the league, that, uh, yeah, he, he's, he doesn't need to get acclimated. He's already an elite player. Now that they've traded Christoph Porzingis and given him his team in terms of the players around him to do what Luka needs to do to be successful, man, watch out. Watch out for the Dallas Mavericks. The growth of Jalen Brunson to a reliable player that Luka can count on has been remarkable. The continued success and maturation of Dorian Finney-Smith to be that 3 and D guy who can guard a multitude of players has been invaluable. Powell, uh, the kid from Stanford, a guy who doesn't have the size of a Steven Adams or a Jonas Valanciunas and such, but his athleticism and his hustle is, is off the charts and his finishing abilities around the rim are off the charts. Gives the Mavericks that bouncy, jumpy, 6'9", bam, bam on the Bayou light type of a player uh, regarding that matter. So, yeah, but the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the defense has been much better. Watch out for the Dallas Mavericks. They're going to do some things. Utah Jazz, free fall. Would like to say that the Denver Nuggets would like to do something and do something uh, remarkable, but uh, I think this is going to be a situation where they're going to lose in the first round to the Golden State Warriors. And Well, I think Jokic, Nikola Jokic deserves to win the MVP because without him, I think that the Denver Nuggets are somewhere where the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder are. But um, they just don't have the manpower. Michael Porter Jr., not being there, um, Jamal Murray not being there, I think that ultimately is going to spell doom for the Denver Nuggets and another wasted year for uh, Nikola Jokic in terms of his quest to become an NBA champion, despite the fact that the numbers and the impact and the play that he had this season was off the charts, unbelievable, remarkable, and well-deserving of MVP status. So, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, yeah, man, the, moving forward, there there's some um, really interesting and really good scenarios in the Eastern and Western Conference. It's going to be happening in, I don't know, whatever you're listening to this, in a few hours or so. And when those games are going to be on, let me tell you something. I am going to be sitting down. I'm going to be eating my seafood burrito. I'm going to be eating my shrimp tacos. I'm going to be kicking back. I'm going to be drinking my sodas like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to be feeling the beautiful waves. I'm going to be feeling the beautiful sea air of the Pacific Ocean on my way to Cabo. Watching the NBA playing games, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets, Bobcats, whatever you want to call them. Lord have mercy. Life is going to be make is going to be real good. Lord, please let me just get on this boat. Please let me just get on this boat and have this boat not hit a uh, iceberg on its way on its way down to Cabo. If you could do that for me, would appreciate it. But yeah, man, the NBA playoffs is going to be absolutely fantastic. Cabo and the NBA playoffs play-in game in the tournament. I cannot 
wait. And welcome back to Wendell's World in Sports, last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program. Hope you're enjoying what I'm putting down toward the NBA. Maybe sometime down the road I'll speak a little Major League Baseball. The season just started, so hey man, not really into it just yet. Not talking about the USFL, sorry, the NBA, excuse me, the NFL draft is coming up, so I'll be speaking about that. But, man, I'm just excited, number one, about my trip to Cabo. Hey, man, my house is going to be unoccupied for four or five days. So, um, you know, anybody who's listening, if y'all thinking about uh, taking something from my house, A, I ain't got nothing to steal, and B, I will hunt you down, and I will blow your head off with a shotgun after I beat you to death. Dig it. <laughs> no one out here even knows where I live. There you go. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Just some news from the NBA real quick. Let me get back to that. The uh, <laughs> I'm quite sure if you don't know, now you know that the season of disappointment, the most disappointing team in the NBA this season by far, has uh, claimed his first scapegoat. Frank Vogel was fired by the Lakers on Monday. That's what the team announced. When the Lakers acquired Russell Westbrook, as we all know, if you want to hear about the story, they were considered serious contenders to win the conference in league championship. LeBron was up there tweeting like, yeah, don't, yeah, keep doubting us. Yeah, say we can't do this. Talk about our weaknesses. Yeah, that just fuels all fire. We're going to be doing this, and we're going to be doing that, and we're going to use that, and this, that, and the other. I mean, all the things that we said would happen if you acquired Russell Westbrook and some of the deficiencies that your team would have if you acquired Russell Westbrook, you mean all those things came to fruition? How about that? Age, injury, all of those things contributed to the type of season that the Los Angeles Lakers had. And I think, as I mentioned before, this was a season where once once things were off the rails, once things were off the rails in terms of, hey, man, I mean, I think for the longest of time that the team was going, they, the team thought that they were going to make the playoffs. But I think the fact that, well, everything that the doubters and the haters said about the move to bring in Westbrook proved to be correct. And the fact that it was pretty evident, even LeBron, after the Lakers had gotten blown out by the Milwaukee Bucks at home, said that we're so far behind the Milwaukee Bucks, we can't see them with a telescope. He didn't say that, but that's what I said. But basically... He was saying that Milwaukee was a much better team, and he had to look on his face look like, I, I don't exactly know what we can do to uh, catch them. So with that observation, with that realization that, man, you know what, we're not going to be real contenders for the NBA championship. They saw what the 
Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies and the Phoenix Suns were doing, and they just said, man, screw it, we ain't going to win the championship. So I think that took a lot of luster. I think that took a lot of wind out of the sails. And then when they started losing, I think it just got to the point where, look, I think there were some players who were tired of Frank Vogel. I think Frank Vogel was tired of some players. I think some players were tired of Russell Westbrook. I think Russell Westbrook was tired of was tired of some players and the head coach. I'll get to that in a second. And I think that it really became a team of dysfunction to the point of, if we make the playoffs, who cares? And if we don't make the playoffs, who cares? I mean, they were playing like a team that really didn't care if they made the playoffs or not. It was a situation was for them, it looked like for the outside looking in, I thought I got the attitude of for us, it was win a championship or bust. And we're not going to win a championship. So bust it. We're not going to uh, really give a sweet JC if we make the playoffs or not. And that's the vibe I got from uh, the players. And it was an mitigated disaster from the, from the get go. And it wasn't just Russell Westbrook. It was the situation of putting all your trust in the Taylor Horton Tucker when you could have Alex Caruso. It was a situation where, you know, you sign Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony and Wayne Ellington and Trevor Ariza and, um, you know, oh, and uh, Avery Bradley and these guys. I mean, what, what, what were these guys going to do? It was a situation of trying to put so much into what the Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, LeBron James trio was speculated to be that it was, but there was a situation where we can get away with having Kendrick Nunn on our team, or we can get away with having um, Austin Reeves on our team, or we can get away with Trevor Ariza being on our team. And it didn't work that way. LeBron ain't the LeBron of Miami. AD ain't the, ain't the late AD of New Orleans. And Russell Westbrook isn't the Russell Westbrook of Oklahoma City. So the guys that they have now, at their present state in terms of being the leaders, in terms of being the guys who can take minimum wage basketball players and lead them to a championship, 30-something-year-old basketball players, and lead them to a championship, that LeBron James ain't walking through that door. And that Anthony Davis ain't walking through that door. And certainly that Russell Westbrook is not walking through that door. I don't even think Russell Westbrook can even walk through that kind of a door because he had ample opportunities to show that he could be the man to win a championship with a team and – he didn't get it done. He didn't get it done in Oklahoma City after Kevin Durant left. He couldn't get it done in Houston, and he couldn't get it done in Washington. So, you know, pulling back the curtain, as I mentioned before, on the Lakers season, I mean, it was a situation where, as I mentioned, Russell Westbrook, Frank Vogel, not seeing eye-to-eye. There's a report saying that Russell Westbrook never respected Frank Vogel from day one. This is a staff member, a Lakers staff member, who uh, told Dan Wilkie of the Los Angeles Times that Westbrook refused to share the ball with his teammates. Now, how someone would be able not to be not to share the ball with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, interesting. But Westbrook refused to share the ball with his teammates and wanted the ball in his hands at all times. Again, when you have LeBron James on your team, you still want the ball in your hands at all times. Interesting. Which irritated Vogel, who Westbrook reportedly did not respect. So what the staff member told Wokey was, he said, Russ never really respected Frank from day one. The moment Frank said anybody who gets the rebound can bring it up the court, just which is just how the NBA is played these days. Russ was like, nah, man, I'm the point guard. Give me the ball. Everybody run. And Frank was like, no, we have Talon. We have Austin. We have Malik. We have LeBron. We have AD. They can bring the ball up. And he was like, nope, I'm the point guard. Give me that shit. Everybody get out of my way. And from 
Sounds a lot like Allen Iverson in Memphis, huh? So from that point on, in training camp, it was a wrap. Because now Russ is a fish out of water, doesn't know what to do, and that's how it started. And according to um, uh, Ramona Shelburne of ESPN, Westbrook's teammates even tried to get him some motivation to elevate his game. His teammates were trying to find a way to feed the beast, as we should say. Tell him things like the coaches hate you and the front office should try to get rid of you. Yet, the front office, the front office, I thought at the trade deadline, they were more on the side of keeping Russell Westbrook. It was LeBron James in Clutch Sports, his agency, his agent, that were trying to get rid of Russell Westbrook to bring in John Wall. It wasn't the front office. The front office, after the trade deadline was over with, came down and said, hey, look, this is your team. Deal with it. This wasn't the situation at the trade deadline that the Lakers were doing everything they could to trade Russell Westbrook. No, 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 no. If his teammates wanted to try to feed the beast and to get him revved up and motivated, they should have been like, hey, Braun didn't want you. Braun was trying to do everything to get rid of you. Braun was trying to trade you to a guy, to a team, for a player that hasn't even played this season. Who's washed up, who has a bad knee. That's what your boy, that's what your homeboy LeBron was trying to do. If I'm Rob Polinka, I'm like, don't be putting that shit on me. Don't be trying that Phil Jackson blaming everything of me against uh, Jerry Krause on that. Don't don't try that scenario. Don't try that bullshit with me. No. I kept your ass. It was LeBron who first did everything to try to get you and then pouted and got upset and started throwing out, like, this is the reason why Sam Presti is such a great GM and all that kind of stuff and him going back to Cleveland and play and him playing with his son at the end of the career. That was all LeBron at the All-Star break who was doing that type of bullshit when he got butt hurt because they didn't trade Russell Westbrook. Was it the other way around? So I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what the Westbrook was taking into that, but, I mean, he's a smart guy. He had to look at those guys and say, man, fuck y'all. Y'all, don't, don't try to bullshit me. Y'all, I, I know the deal. So what are the Lakers going to do with Russ moving forward? Now, Sharm Sharenia of the Athletic and Stadium reported the Pacers could target Westbrook if they want to shed long-term salary from their roster, specifically the contracts of Buddy Heald and Malcolm Brogdon. Russell Westbrook and Rick Carlisle. Hmm. Huh. Did anybody want to bring up the relationship between Rick Carlisle and um, Rajon Rondo? How did that toxic mix work? And now you're going to put a strong-headed, bull-headed coach with a strong-willed, bull-headed player like Russell Westbrook, who still thinks that it's 2015. You're going to put you're going to put him and Rick Carlisle and on the same court together and ask them to work and unify as one. Yeesh, I don't know. I don't know. They said trading Heald and Brogdon for Westbrook straight up will work under the salary cap and allow the Pacers to get under the final three years of Brogdon's contract and the final two of Heels. I think if the Lakers can get Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald, I think that would be a win for them. According to NBA reporter Mark Stein, also the Charlotte Hornets are a team to keep an eye on when you're speaking about teams who could uh, trade for Russell Westbrook. Gordon Hayward has played two seasons and had, or sorry, Gordon, Hay, Gordon Hayward had two seasons left of a four-year, $120 million contract. He's appeared in 49 of Charlotte's 20, uh, 79 games this season. Terry Rozier has played well, but he's in year one of a four-year, $90 million contract extension. Way to go, MJ! <laughs> so the Hornets are going to be needing to, but we sign um, Miles Bridges. They're going to have to probably give a max to 
LaMelo Ball. So, hey, man, they needed to uh, go ahead and clear some, some, some cap space. So if they could get either get rid of either Gordon Hayward's contract or Terry Rozier's contract, put that in there with Kelly Oubre, who's making uh, who's on a two-year, $24.5 million contract. That would work within the framework of the trade for Russell Westbrook going to Charlotte going down. But uh, the team trading for Westbrook is apt to uh, send out at least roughly $38 million in salary. So there you go. There you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us very quickly. I want to name my first all-NBA team. I'm going by position. I'm going by point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. Yes, there's a little ambiguity. Yes, there's a little gray area. Yes, there's a little, well, depending upon the style that you want to run. And is he really a power forward or is he just a forward? Is he really a guard or is he just a point guard? Wait a I'm going to do the best I can. Okay, so my NBA first team, I'm, once again, I'm going by, I'm going by, Point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, okay? So when I talk about NBA first team, this is the reason why I'm not going to have Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid on the same team in terms of the all-NBA team. Not going to work that way. One guy has to be first, one guy has to be second. It's kind of like if you have a, kind of like in the day where you had Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, the two best players in the, N, in the NFL. When it came to the all-NFL team, it wasn't a situation where you could have, okay, my starting quarterback for that team is Tom Brady, and then I'll have Peyton Manning as the running back slash quarterback, so when Tom Brady hands the ball, I can set some type of offense to where Tom Brady hands Peyton Manning the ball, and then he can throw the football. So in a weird kind of way, I can kind of make it work because I need to put the two best players in the league on the same team. Didn't work that way. As great as Peyton Manning was, as great as Tom Brady was, one guy had to be on the first team, the other guy didn't. Sorry, that's the way it goes. Same thing in the NBA. Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are centers. I'm not going to put Nikola Jokic as a power forward. I'm not going to do the Twin Towers. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Both of those guys are center. One guy has to make the first team, and the other guy has to make the other team. So, my all-NBA first team, point guard Luka Dantich. Luka is a point guard. Have you seen his usage rate? Luka is a point guard. Small forward is going to be Jason Tatum. Shooting guard is going to be Devin Booker. Power forward is going to be Giannis. If you want to call him a point center, go for it. And my center is going to be Nikola Jokic, who I think is the MVP of the league. The second team, I've got John Morant as the point guard. Steph Curry is the shooting guard. You can even call him a guard, but I can put him at a shooting guard. He's more shooting guard than point guard. If you're saying that a guard like Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, the greatest shooter, 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 he's a shooting guard. Kevin Durant as the small forward. DeMar DeRozan, I'm playing small ball. Power forward and Joel Embiid. Or you can make a, you can take these can be a, a power forward. DeMar can be a small forward. Joel Embiid is the center. Third team, point guard, Chris Paul. Shooting guard, Trey Young. Third, um, the small forward is LeBron. Power forward on the third team is Pascal Siakam. And my center is not Bayam Alabayu and it's not Carl uh, Anthony Towns. I'm still going to stick with defense and go with Rudy Gobert. So those are my guys. Those are my three all-NBA teams right there. So um, I'll go into a little bit more discussion about that 
a little bit later. But um, I got to get back to packing. I got to get back to uh, daydreaming about what's going to be happening in about 12 hours when I'll be shipping on down to Cabo. Oh, cannot wait. I cannot wait. So, yeah, man, that's going to be it. I'm going to end it there. Thank you very much for listening to Wendell's World in Sports. As always, good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, mi amigos, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste. Wendell's World of Sports, I've been Wendell Wallace. I'm still Wendell Wallace, your host. As I sign off, as I get out of here, please remember, please go ahead and do this for me. Could you go ahead and... Make sure that you be the, that you are the best person, the best human being that you can pop that you can possibly be. Could you go ahead and could you make sure that you have that difficult conversation with those of a different race and gender and political affiliation and someone who might love differently than you, someone who might worship another god than you, even if they worship one at all, someone who might be from the different side of the tracks, different side of the globe, different religions and stuff. Could you please? Go ahead and get to know this person. You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to break bread. You don't have to name your first child after the guy or gal. But could you please do what we need to do to learn and break some of these ignorant, racist stereotypes about certain people and what they do and who they love and what they're like? Can we kind of go ahead and start learning about each other so we can live in a society, not my generation, not your generation, too too late for us. I'm part of the problem of being too ignorant, too selfish, too racist, too narrow-minded. I was hoping and I'm hoping that I can leave this world in a place where people are truly judged by who they are as human beings within their heart, how they treat others, how much love they give to each other, how much love they give to the world, how much good vibes that they give more than how much money they have in their bank account, how popular they are in a culture, what uh, what skin color they are, what type of privilege that they have, what type of uh, political affiliation that they're with, what type of God that they worship. Let's kind of like get rid of all that nonsense and just start judging people on how much good that they are, regardless of anything else. If we could do that and leave that for our children and their children and their children. So 20, 30, 50 years from now in the U.S. history books, when kids really, truly are learning about this country and learning about this world, can look back and take a look and say, wow, you're going to try to tell me back in the year 2020 that... Those people were that ignorant, that those people were that selfish, that those people were that racist, that those people were that backwards, that those people had that type of mentality toward Jews and gays and Asians and blacks and women and and and, and uh, Muslims and such. You mean to tell me that those ignorant, out-of-date stereotypes, they actually believe that bullshit? Man, they were some racist, stupid motherfuckers back there. And I'll be up in heaven saying, you're right. You are absolutely right. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, fix that, shall we? Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World and Sports. I'm off the Cabo, and I'm going to say music.